This is Blue Collar Culture, where you don't need ping pong tables, a cereal bar, or nap pots to attract and retain real A players. Join us where we speak with down-to-earth leaders that understand what it takes to win with a blue collar culture. Now here are your hosts, Jeremy McLiver and Ryan England. We often have a lot of people on our show that talk about the mindset shifts that as entrepreneurs we need to make in order to get to the next level in our business. My name is Ryan England. I am the host of today's episode, and I'm really excited to speak to today's guest because that is exactly what he does. You may have heard the term work-life balance. You might even believe that work-life balance is possible. Today's guest is actually going to shatter that idea for us. He's going to talk about why putting work at the beginning of work-life balance is the biggest mistake or the biggest lie we've ever been told. I'm just going to dig right in. I am really excited to welcome today's guest, David Taylor Klaus, to the show. All right, David, welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm glad to be here, man. Oh, I'm excited to have you. Just a little few minutes we got to spend time talking before the show. I'm excited about where this is going to go. So tell me, what is the biggest myth about your industry or the work that you do? Oh my God, I think the biggest myth is that people believe coaches are focused on work-life balance. And just saying that phrase makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up and you get to see the facial expression. I just, I loathe that term because I realize that industry has created that term to fool workers into over-calibrating towards work and losing contact with everything else that's important. In other words, they get so focused on work, life doesn't ever happen. And here's why it's asinine. It's like, whose idea was it to put the word work first? It changes the way we think about it. There's a professor out in Texas, James Campbell Quick, who did research, which is actually going to match your previous work experience, Ryan. The average work week is now 70 hours. And our job is to try to jam life into the cracks around it. And that never happens. You never get around to it because you're so busy. And if you're the one in the truck or you're the one behind the desk, it doesn't matter. 70 hours doesn't leave you enough waking time to have a real life. Yeah, that's more time than I spend sleeping. If I sleep a healthy number of hours, <laughs> which most of exactly. us don't, right? So if half of our waking time is contributed to work, then boy, we've got to make that investment an effective investment that leaves us time to actually have a life. Yeah. So why do you think that that has been just perpetuated through? I mean, I left corporate over a decade ago and that was the one thing that they just drilled into our head. No, we want you to have work-life balance. We want you to have work-life balance. We want you to, to find the balance when you're working 90 hours a week, but we want you to find the balance. Why do you think that we do this? Because the lie has worked. People have, have gone on believing that, look, to balance two things, you have to separate them. And you can't do that. You can't separate work and life anymore. It's not a nice, convenient, tidy little bundle. And the longer we believe it, the longer we buy into it, the longer we say, oh, we'll play with our kids tomorrow. I'll see my wife this weekend. As long as we buy into that crap, it's going to perpetuate. The piece is, since we can't separate them, this is really about making life and work together. But here's the other thing family, faith, community, kids. There are so many things that are part of life. Why is work the only other thing included in the term that we use? The balance, yeah. 
Right. And it should be something closer to life rhythm, creating a rhythm between all the things that are important in your world. That's the game. So when we talk to the folks who work for us about wanting them to have a whole life, we have to think about that. How am I creating rhythm as the owner, as the leader? How am I creating rhythm in my own world? And then look at how am I creating space for my folk that are making my company possible? How do I make it possible for them to have a life? Oh yeah, we've got to be the example. And often I think that leaders are the bad example. Oh yeah. Right? We show people, oh yeah, I'm available 24 seven. You know, we've got a client and they tell me, they're like, yeah, if anybody calls me anytime 24 seven, I answer the phone and I expect them to do the same. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, where's the balance in that? Yeah. Totally get it. It's not healthy. Yeah. You know, you talk about rhythm and I think that we do a lot of work where we, we start to understand the different generations because when we're looking at hiring and building teams, we all think differently, right? The next generation, we hope that, as, so I'm a Gen Xer. So as a Gen X, so my kids, I'm really hoping that I teach them the things that I learned the hard way. Like I don't want them to go through the same stuff I did. So we hope we're doing it better. And I'm not sure that we are, but I do think that a lot of the modern workforce really has this, they've shifted from this work-life balance idea and they've gone to work-life integration, which I don't know is any healthier. There's an important language change. I would never let it play out where the word work comes first. It makes our intention and our orientation backwards. Even just changing that, getting people to think about their life first, great quote from Rev Run, that never gets so busy making a living that you forget to make a life. And by calling it work-life balance, we make that the outcome. Words create worlds and we're screwing ourselves by calling it work-life anything. Yeah. So how do we overcome this? How do we change our mindset on this? Like, I get it's probably not enough to get into in a 20 or 30 minute podcast episode, but what are some things people can do? How do they make this happen or break down that belief? Well, the challenge is that, you know, the fish rots from the head down. So this really, it is the owner. It is the leader that has to model this. And it starts by naming what's important, actually looking at what are the things that are really important to me? And I have a firm belief that your calendar doesn't lie. I can look at your calendar and I can tell you what's actually important to you. Because if it's not on there, if it's not on your calendar, it's not important. It's not going to get done. And if that says, this is what time I leave the office, this is what time I'm going to be. It is when I'm going to be in church. This is when I'm going to be at dinner. This is when I'm going to exercise. You know, what happens first to an entrepreneur? The three things that fall off first, sleep, nutrition, and exercise. If you're not making time and space for these things to happen, they don't happen. And, you know, you've had several guests that have talked about Mike Michalowicz and Profit First. It's the same idea. If you don't set up your accounts and your structure so that you take the profit first and pay yourself, you're not gonna. Calendar's the same window into what you are allowing to be important for you. Yeah, well, so I'm thinking through just a bunch of entrepreneurs that I know and even me at different stages of my life and thinking, you know what, David, that's great, but you haven't seen my calendar. Like there's no room for those things. I'd love to put them on there, but there's no room. I think that goes back to your original point, right? That's exactly what happens. And I mean, there's the challenge. They're not on there because you didn't put them on there. There's no room on there because you allowed it to get that crowded. You're answering the phone 24-7 because you're allowing that to happen. You're not training your team and training your customers. This is a completely different mindset than most of us were raised with. You know, we were raised with this, this effed up lie that the fiercer the dragon, the sweeter the victory. And that's not true. The fiercer the dragon, the just the bloodier you get. Bludgeoning through things, powering through, hammering through. No, that's how you die young. You know, it's funny you say that. 
two real quick examples. One, I remember this guy was so excited, entrepreneur, been grinding away for years, finally got over the million dollar revenue mark, you know, which is a big deal for a lot of entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. He had seven employees and he was just, he was loving it. He's like, I finally made it. And we were sitting down talking and I said, talk to him about this. He goes, yeah, I work about 70 hours a week. He goes, and last year, my personal take home, my personal income, (laughs) nobody else can see this, but David just cringed. (laughs) He just grabbed his chest because he knows where this is going. $72,000. And I just looked at him and I said, Oh my God. Like originally I was thinking, Oh, this is kind of cool. Like I'm jealous. And I'm like, I am not jealous at all because he is putting in so much effort. You can make $72,000 way easier than being an entrepreneur. There are much right. easier ways to do that. And this was his thing. And I was like, no, I have no desire to even want your business. But so many times I think that people get hung up on this revenue number. Like it's a vanity number. Revenue means nothing. I would rather have a very profitable business with lots of free time. And that leads me to the second story. So I have another friend just up and moved his family. He's like, I want to live on the coast. And he's like, I don't know. You know, it's very expensive. I get it, but that's where I want to be because that's where I spend time with my family. And we're talking and he's literally, I can hear there's some shame in his voice as he's about to tell me what's going on. And it's sad because this is what you're talking about. He goes, Ryan, he goes, I've got a business now where I work five to seven hours a week. Mm. I spend all my time with my young kids. I get to take my wife out every day. He goes, do I have the big house and the riches and all this other stuff? No. He goes, but I get to live where I want to live. I get to play where I want to play. I get to spend all the time I want with my family. He goes, but I don't tell a lot of people that because there's shame associated with admitting that, which is really sad. Because I'm like, man, I am so jealous of you right now. <laughs> it's there's so awesome. shame in that idea of I've got the business structured so well that I'm redundant. It can run without me. Yet that's actually the goal. You know, you've got a lot of a lot of guests on your series that are talking about get, you know, exiting the company. Well, if you're working 70 hours a week, if your ass is in the truck, you got a company that's very, very hard to sell. But if you've got a company that you can run in five to seven hours a week, you can sell that. And you can make some money off that because it's no longer reliant upon your grinding. I can't tell you how many people I've met that are in their early 60s and they're like, I'm ready to sell. And then they call me and they're like, I need you to help me build a team. I need to get me out of the business because no one wants to buy it because I create a job for myself. Mm-hmm. And a $10 an hour job. <laughs> the number of hours they're working. Absolutely. And you know, I tell people, I'm like, that's really going to be hard. You've got 40 years of doing it one way. And for you to let go and build that team is going to be tough. Here's the scary part. This goes back to your first story. And this is a stat from just after the fiscal readjustment we had in 08 and 09. And that was only 7% of companies that reached the seven-figure mark ever reach it a second time. And that's because they've done it by grinding. No systems, no structures, no process. They are the system. They are the structure. They are the process. They're butts in the van. And that's not sustainable. Yay, we did it. And then they crash. And so we can wait until we decide to sell it and the broker or the consultant says, dude, you need a team or you're never getting out of this. You can build the team then or you can build it at the beginning so you can be like the guy in your second story. Yeah. So I know we've talked, there's a mindset shift that has to happen, but I think there's also some action that people can take. So let's talk about some of the actions they can take, really grow their team and, and even grow themselves. Like, how do you do that when it's not something you're accustomed to? It's not something that you were... You were raised to do. It's not a habit. How do you get started doing something like that? Part of this is is changing the way you build and lead your team, right? And let's start with how you play with the folks 
already in your company. I have a firm belief and I've seen this from experience that being listened to feels so much like being loved that people can scarcely tell the difference. And we often get so busy and so intent on making things better that we forget that we're working with people who want to feel like they're heard. And so one of the quickest ways to kill trust is inside of a company is to make your your employees feel like you're not listening. And Ryan, you and I were talking before, the idea of continuous quality improvement has poisoned the mindset of entrepreneurs, right? It's not that I'm not a fan of lean manufacturing. I am, but as you pointed out earlier, Ryan, it's a process, not a mindset. And it's poisoned our minds so that every time we're listening to an employee, too many of us are thinking, oh, wait, no, let me correct that. No, that's not quite right. And most of our time is spent correcting and redirecting. Problem is they don't feel heard. And they're, if, especially when there's so much of what they're saying, you know, the example is when you're listening to your employee for what's broken, what's wrong, what do I need to fix? And just tweaking that, all they're feeling is corrected, corrected, corrected. And that erodes trust and it increases turnover. And all of us know how expensive it is to bring in a new employee and train them and get them up to speed. That costs time, effort, energy, and money. So the, the more we can grow them, the more we can keep them, the more we can make them feel trusted and included, the less expensive it is for our payroll, right? So the piece is when you're listening to somebody, it's a simple shift in mindset that you can practice. And that is listening for something that you agree with or like, or that you can build on. Listening for something positive and actually saying that out loud. What I like about that is, right? And then tell them what was good or right or, or on target about what they said, and then add and, and here's how we build on it. Here's what we can do with it, right? You're not making it a thinly veiled, but hey, what I like about that is, but it's really wrong. Yeah, ignore everything I just said right, and just exactly. listen to what I'm about to right. say. Yes, yes. No, really, it's a, it's incumbent upon you, the uh, the owner, the leader, to say, look, what I like about that is, and then find something genuine, and then say, and this is what we can add, and this is what we can shift. But it's looking for something positive so they feel like they're part of something, especially with how many of us are leading teams that are now no longer all in-house. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, as you were telling that story about listening to your team, it reminds me of something. And this is something we coach because people are so, again, especially in my world, I see so many times entrepreneurs, they think about their people as an asset, right? Like we've convinced you, your people are your greatest asset. Well, when you hear the word asset, what do you think? You think of a thing, right? You think of a machine, you think of equipment, you think of real estate or property, you think of a thing, but we've called, we call people human capital or we call them our assets. And we think of them as things or cogs in a machine, right? And what do you do when a cog breaks? You replace the cog. When you were talking, it got me thinking about when you're talking to people, remember that they're human beings and they have hopes and goals and dreams and all that mushy stuff that entrepreneurs don't want to talk about, right? But it's so important because if you don't care that Bobby is going through a nasty divorce, or if you don't care that Jimmy's kid has a health diagnosis, or you don't care that Susan is fighting with her spouse all the time because she wants to move back home and it's causing issues at home because of it. Like she wants to move back to where her family is. If you don't care about those things, you're never going to get your people to care about your business. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, your business is, is your dream. And if you don't enroll these people and treat them like humans, they're going to help somebody else build their dream. Absolutely. 
So I love what you said about just listening to people and, and not with the intention to reply and just be like, I can't wait to get my few cents in, but just really listening to what isn't being said is what I tell people all the time. So I love that. So we're talking to our people. We're listening to our people. We're learning from our people. You said something earlier that as leaders, it's our responsibility to continue to grow as well. Talk about that a little bit more. One of the things I say a lot is if you want to grow your company, grow your people. And if you want to grow your people, grow yourself. Leadership always starts from you and you're never done. And it's not always about learning more about the finances, learning more about operations or learning more about process. It's learning more about yourself. The more you learn about yourself, the less you'll find you're doing things that don't serve, that don't work for you. So much of what happens back to that lie of work-life balance, so much that happens is we convince ourselves that what we're doing is meaningful and meaningful to us, but you can only live that lie for so long, right? There's a Gay Hendricks wrote a book called The Big Leap, and he talks about the idea of your zone of genius versus your zone of excellence, right? And so much of the time we spend our time doing things we're good at. We may even be excellent at, but it's not our zone of genius, the thing that we're best at, the thing that we're the only one in the company that can do it. And the better we get to know ourselves and the better we get to know what really lights us up, the more we can spend our time doing that and growing our team to do all those other things, right? Back to your example of the, your second story, the guy who's working five to seven weeks running a company. If he's spending those five to seven hours in his zone of genius, that's the best possible position to lead a company from. Look, I know that <laughs> navigating the finances, you know, I had a technology company for 15 years and I did the books for the first year. It was not my zone of excellence. Certainly wasn't my zone of genius. I think it was literally my zone of incompetence. The only reason we had a second year is because my partner started doing the books before we eventually hired somebody to do the books. Oh my God, I was terrible. I had no idea what I was doing. Now I could spend a lot of time getting better at individual tasks or areas of, of understanding of a company, or I can learn enough to manage the numbers and manage the people running the numbers. And I can put my focus on what I should be doing, what I'm supposed to be doing, because it's what I'm genius at. Yeah. I tell clients, I go, what's the thing that you would pay? You would have to pay $10,000 an hour to have someone else do that you do. That's the stuff you stay focused on. Because how many times do you meet an entrepreneur who is answering the phones or driving in a truck? I'm like, you're doing $50 an hour work. <laughs> you get a job. Mm -hmm. Only got so many hours, even at 70 hours a week, you've only got so many hours. You're going to max out. Or burnout. Or burnout. That happens too. All right. So I'm, I'm working on myself. I'm working on my people. Why do you think so many people either get stuck or what's a way to not, to not get stuck? I guess that's my question. Cause I, I picture this like, Oh my gosh, now I'm growing, I'm learning, I'm doing all these new things, but I got to get back to running my business. <laughs> like how do we make it part of the, that mindset shift, part of our habit, part of our daily routine so that we're constantly growing ourselves and our people. Uh, that's you said the perfect word in there habit because we don't just have habits of behavior we have habits of thinking and the habits of thinking are the hardest to break our brains are when you get into the brain science our brains are designed for consistency in other words if the brain if you have a certain thought pattern your brain wants to keep having that a certain behavior your brain wants to keep doing that that's the way the neurons in the brain work and we don't have to nerd out and get into the brain science i'll need a whiteboard but <laughs> Here's the thing, to change a habit, our brains suck at stopping something. 
we're really good at replacing something that doesn't serve with something that does. In other words, building a new habit. And that takes, depends on whose research you, you read, 21 to 30 days at a minimum, as much as 90 days. So that means if you want to create a new habit of thinking, a new mindset, a new behavior, then it's something that, back to your calendar, <laughs> this is something you have to do every day right? To create shift, it's small actions repeated with frequency for a duration of time. So if you want to change the way you think about, you know, we talked again, I was just listening to previous episodes. You want to change the way you see money. You want to get out of that scarcity mindset into a more abundance mindset. Then that's something you have to keep in front of you every day. When Lindsey Vaughn, who's an Olympic skier, wanted to get better at jumping because she hated jumping and the Olympic sport, the sport that she was competing in changed to start including jumps. She hated it, terrified of it. And so she Something as simple as a little post-it pad and had little post-its in her locker, in her bag, in her bathroom, everywhere that said, I love jumping, you know, helping her take on a different mindset. And, you know, she says all the money she spent on a sports psychologist and the coach who said, here's a pack of post-its that made all the difference. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's three gold medals in extreme downhill. So the idea is how do you keep the goal in front of you long enough with enough repetition to change and create a new habit of thinking. It's all, it's almost like creating these little traps, these little things just to, to just jog your mind for just a second. It reminds me of a, a client we have that they're in construction and you know, all the guys in the field were safety vests and they bought everybody all new safety vests with a clear plastic pocket over the chest. And the guys are like, what is this clear plastic pocket for? And right above the pocket, it says, I work safely for. And the idea was for them to put a picture of their family in it. They're not looking at it every day, but they're seeing everybody else that they're working with. They're seeing all the people they work safely for. So it makes them go, I got to work safely, but I got to make sure they work safely too. Because I want them to go back to those people. Just this little trap. That's a structure that helps bring it to front of mind throughout the day. It's brilliant. That can't, that builds a great way to build a new habit of thinking. That's great. So I know that you've got some thoughts around values too. You know, I talk a lot about values inside of an organization and the work I do. And I think every organization has values, whether they're written on the break room wall or not, <laughs> they've all got values. And talk to me a little bit about that. How do values align with leadership? How do we hold people accountable to them? How do we use that as a way to really make sure we're all moving in the same direction? as we start growing our people. Let me apologize in advance for starting off with the negative. The problem with those values that are posted on the wall in the break room is that precious few of those companies can answer the question, what behaviors are visible when those values are being lived? See, we confuse common language with common understanding all the time. So if you've got a value of trust or responsiveness for your company, if I ask people inside the company, what does trust mean? There's more than one answer, then there's a problem. Because each person thinks, you know, what I believe trust means for me may be wildly different than you. And that's going to be the case across the team. So being clear, if everybody in the team or when everybody on the team is clear about what behaviors are present when those values are being lived, then those values have meaning. Because when you talk about holding people accountable, you can't hold them accountable to what hasn't been named, right? The idea with accountability, there are four simple questions. And this is great around the values. So asking the employee what was supposed to happen, right? And let them answer it. You know, when you walk up and say, you were supposed to do this, they've already shut down, right? Ask them what was supposed to happen, then ask them what actually happened. They've now drawn awareness to what the gap was. What are you going to do to make it right right now? 
And then how are we going to make sure this kind of thing doesn't happen again? But the first step to any of that is them knowing what they're being held accountable to. And that's where we fall down. And spoiler alert, we're not really clear on our own values, even when we've articulated them as to what behaviors are present when we live those. If we're not, how do we know what we're holding ourselves accountable to? That's why I like what Simon Sinek says. He's like, the values inside of your organization should all be a verb. That way you can actually tell when someone does them. (laughs) If they're not a verb, it's not a good value. And then, you know, Jim Collins even goes a step and says, you know, there's these permission to play values like trust and integrity and honesty and all. Should you even have to test people for trustworthiness before you invite them to your team? Like you shouldn't. (laughs) Like these are table stakes, but we do it all the time. Why? I think it's because especially with the values, it's that inward way to look at ourselves. Just like you said, like that we're the first person that has to change when we want something different. Like we can only change ourselves and we got to be the leader. When we go to values, it's like, yeah, but trust is so much easier than really figuring out what it is that we value. It is. It's easier to pull those aspirational words off of a list and have them done by a graphic designer and put it up on the wall, right? So Roy Disney said, when your values are clear, decision-making becomes easier. And for every single one of us that have ever started and grown and run a business, decision-making, that's our lifeblood. And the better decisions we make, the better results we get. So get your values articulated, clear, and internalized. I mean, know what it is that's important to you. Then you can filter out the things that aren't. Yeah. So I'm just listening to you. I mean, we could just keep going forever on this. I have so many questions, but I, I want to make sure that our listeners get the value out. So I can picture a lot of people listening to this right now and going, you know what? David, you make it sound so stinking easy. (laughs) I've done this stuff. I've worked on this. I've not been able to make this happen. You actually have a very specific prescription for people that want to get help and, and get somebody to help them do this because professional athletes have it. Everybody else. I mean, you talk about Lindsey Vaughn, right? And, and they most, most of them have more than one. Tell me about that. What is something they can go do if they want to do this, but maybe they've struggled in the past or they don't know how to get started? Um, so the, the, the more extensive answer is get a coach. There are so many folks that provide coaching, leadership coaching. And if I want to get better at any sport, I'm going to hire a coach because I don't know what I don't know. And the reason coaches are so powerful for leaders are because (laughs) we don't see ourselves as we really are. We have a warped view of ourselves in the mirror. And a coach's job is to help you see how you're being out in the world and help you shift that in a way that makes sense for you. So here's the first thing. I loathe the idea of sending people to social media, but I'm going to do it anyway, is start following some coaches on social media. There is so much good information from coaches that are serving leaders and serving entrepreneurs. You can get a ton of information free. And if there's one thing an entrepreneur, the high value information at low cost or free, hell yeah. But start listening, start watching, start reading, start looking at what, how you can improve who you're being and how you're leading, right? The better decision, the better leader you are, this is about working on your decision making. And the more of that that comes from your values and truth about who you are, the easier your life becomes and the better your results become. So if you're not ready to hire a coach, start following them. Mm, I love it. Okay, well, let's, let's figure out for those people that are ready and want to either follow someone or maybe even reach out to you, how do people get a hold of you? And you've got a free offer for them as well. I've got a a tool online that I wish I had when I started off as an entrepreneur almost 30 years ago. There's a quiz online at DTK 
quiz.com, right? And it gives you a chance to see, to take a test of where you are along the curve of living, loving, and leading at your best, right? And it's simple. It's easy to do. It takes you just a couple minutes and you get good information back. And if there's more of a conversation you want to have, yes, I'm available. This is not going to put you into heavy hammer email sales. This is an opportunity for you to get a better sense of how you're doing in your life from a different perspective. That's awesome. So dtkquiz.com, we will have that in the show notes. So if you're behind the windshield, which I know a lot of you probably are right now, when you get back to the office, you'll be able to get that and go get that quiz. David, I've enjoyed this conversation. I can't believe we're done already. Like, I feel like we just got started. There's so much to dig in here. I've really enjoyed it a ton. Thank you for being here. And thank you for some of that really impactful insight on just being able to change the way you think enough so that you, not only you can become a better leader, but you can actually create better leaders inside of your organization as well. David, thanks for being here. Really enjoyed it. Take care, Ryan. The Blue Collar Culture Podcast is sponsored by bluecollarculture.com. We help entrepreneurs create a healthy culture and build a self-managing business. To learn more, go to bluecollarculture.com.